Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. That's the only noise I can make about tennis at the moment, because... Where do you start? Welcome back to the Love Tennis podcast with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. Uh, George Belshaw and Calvin Betton are here as well. Uh, frankly, we could do with about four other people because this is going to take some unpicking. Uh, we're going to talk about Novak Djokovic and everything that goes with him. Uh, we'll talk about Emma Raducanu, Andy Murray, a bit about serve and volleying. Yeah, why not? Maxime Cressy is in vogue. Uh, Rafael Nadal to Gail Monfils informed Canada flying in the ATP Cup. Ashley Barty and Amanda Anisimova picking up wins too. And Simona Halep hitting some form. Oh, and Arena Sabalenka appeared to have some sort of meltdown. Um, I don't know if that's even everything we'll talk about. Maybe we won't even get through it all, but we'll do our best. There is, of course, only one man to start with. It's Novak Djokovic. Uh, since you last heard from us, and no doubt you've already read, he won his... Appeal against visa cancellation in a lengthy court case, which I slept through the entirety of because it started at 11 p.m. UK time and finished about half six. Uh, But I woke up to the notification that he had, in fact, won, although that didn't mean it was over. Um, His visa could still be cancelled. Perhaps even by the time you hear this, there may have been more developments from Alex Hawke, the immigration minister, who is considering cancelling his visa again. Presumably Novak Djokovic would appeal again. Uh, and then, well, let's call the whole thing off. George, uh, a Regency farce of the highest order. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of changed hourly rather than daily, hasn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. literally something new just popping up all the time. Um, I, yeah, I'm kind of reluctant to say anything too kind of sweeping in terms of the generalization now given that by the time this comes out the next twist may have come but I think the thing that still remains for me that I'm pretty sure won't have been answered by tomorrow or the day after is the big questions Novak has to answer about this positive test you know there's been all these kind of events he's appeared in you know you have to bear in mind it's meant to be a two-week isolation after a positive Mm -hmm. test in Serbia He's Just to played. clear up the dates for people who maybe haven't been kind of quite so in, in involved in, in this stuff and reading everything, um, he is supposed to have tested what well, he did test positive, according to the paperwork, on the 16th of December. He received that uh, result in the evening of the 16th of December. He then appears to have attended an event uh, in Belgrade with a few kids, a few adults, some all sorts of people uh, presenting prizes and hugging people and handshaking and all the things you're not supposed to do if you've got covid um, he then gave an interview to the French newspaper L'Equipe on the 18th of December. They say he wore uh, a mask for the interview, but not for the photo shoot. Um, he, of course, as you say, George, shouldn't have been there by Serbian law at all. Yeah, and he was out on Christmas Day, which still by Serbian law he shouldn't have been doing, which is considering it was a two-week period. Um, and then he's... So beyond that, then he said on his travel documentation to Australia, the visa... Um, 
information that he hadn't left Serbia before going to Australia, but we've all seen him practicing in a Marbella on the third. Well, I think he was. I think he was saying. So the the question is. Have you been in Travel. another country other than the one you could just come from in the last 14 days? And he said, no, um, you know, I, I've been in Spain, which is where he, he flew from Spain. Am I not right? Spain, yeah. Sorry, other way around. Um, but... but yeah, we, we know that he was in Belgrade on the 25th and Spain a couple of days later. So that, that but that, that's an oversight, right? Like in any, okay. other circ- in any other circumstances, the border official goes, are you sure about this? Because I've seen on your Twitter that you were in Serbia. <laughs> And he's like, oh, ooh, no, okay, yes. And, you know, you just rip up the form and write it again. But in the circumstances, the implications are worse. Yeah. And then the latest today that is, you know, this is because one of my friends texted me saying it's like an Agatha Christie novel, this. Like, <laughs> there's just too many twists and turns to follow. Um, but the latest Sorry, today if is... you've got a friend who struggles with the plot lines of Agatha Christie novels, they're a bit much. <laughs> Maybe they didn't say too much about it. Perhaps I've embellished that. But... <laughs> they certainly mentioned. Um... Just like to meet this friend, I've got some NFTs. I'd like to sell them. <laughs> um, but he, he being Djokovic, you know, there's there's been a report from um, German newspapers, Der Spiegel being one of them. I'm not going to pronounce the other one because I'll get it wrong and I can't good, remember. Off the top good of my choice. Um, but this duo of uh, German reporting has come out and basically had a look at this positive test and they've put across some I don't know how strong you describe it as evidence but circumstantial interesting evidence suggesting that the tests is more likely to have been from the 26th the positive test than the 16th and the reasons they give for this is the number of tests so it's done kind of by order um, mm. the number of tests that yeah he, he did sort of test number 150 yeah. you know let's say it's not that um so he was and... saying yeah yeah exactly so they were saying between the 16th and the second test the 22nd there would have been a 75,000 gap of testing numbers for example but between the 22nd and the 26th there would only be a 50,000 gap which matches up with what the actual number difference was and the fact that the testing number was later higher rather than the previous one which says it's been later and then there's all sorts of stuff about URLs, which you know probably go far beyond my timestamps. Timestamps URLs, I believe. So Look, when I, just when to they kind were downloaded. of yeah, just to take away all the all the kind of you know the technical explanations, which are interesting. And if you want to read them, then if you go on my Twitter or George's Twitter, you'll see um, the retweeting of the thread. Um, but the, the the kind of salient point here is they are alleging that these documents have either been incorrectly submitted or falsified in some way. That's the, that's the allegation at the heart of all this, that Novak Djokovic has submitted incorrect testing data. And, and at this point, we have no idea whether A, that is true, or B, whether it was deliberate or, or just a mistake. But either way, it looks like some of this paperwork could be coming back, uh, if you will, um, which would be a completely remarkable uh, unfolding of this incredibly remarkable case a week later calvin what's been the what's been the most baffling point of the last four or five days for you <laughs> that's a strong one isn't it <laughs> um, i mean it, you, you just couldn't predict anything because I, I actually stayed up a little bit for the court case and before it started i think everybody was pretty sort of on about 90 percent that he's not getting in here um it, it's it's too far it's run, run too far um but i watched maybe the first 45 minutes of it and although most of it was legal talk that i couldn't understand you could pretty much grasp within the first 10 minutes that the judge was gonna was gonna give him the the pass here um mm. so just with the way he was talking so i went to sleep thinking it probably lasted about another hour after i turned off so i don't really know why it lasted another seven hours because you could tell very early that the judge was letting him in Mm. Um, but it seemed to be, he seemed to be basically letting him in on the premise that he wasn't treated very well at the border, which seems to be, there may be a call for that, but I still don't understand how they, they, he didn't sort of rectify it. He didn't sort of clarify the idea as to why he was still being allowed in. Cause that you don't just get, if you've broken the, if you, if you don't have the, the right medical exemption, you don't just get in because you were treated badly at the border. 
Mm. Um, that's not how it works. Um, but that seemed to be, from what the judge was saying, that seemed to be what he was saying. Because at that point, and I still haven't seen an explanation as to it does prior does prior um, prior does having the disease prior um, infection yeah, within six months yeah, does prior infection is that does that give you an inf- um, an exemption because there's still some I've still not seen a clarification on that whether it does or not. I think the hilarious point is that the federal and state governments are still apart on this point. Yeah, and the reason this case was kind of decided in the favour it was was as you're kind of saying based on the kind of technicality that he wasn't given long enough or reasonable amount of time to kind of put across his case. It's really interesting now to see, you know, it's kind of pointless as predicting what this immigration minister is going to say or what what kind of things he can take into account. But, you know, I can't really understand why they wouldn't be looking at it now, the kind of conduct, the allegations that are going around this. And and then these press conferences with his family claiming they've had a victory for the free world. And I mean, I think... That that I <laughs> I was at my mum's house because it was my day off and we didn't see my mum over Christmas. So Hannah and I went up to see see my mum and we were just sitting down to have lunch. And I said, oh, this press conference is just on. I'm just going to watch it because, you know, got to be across it. And my mum was just laughing. And she was just like, these people aren't these serious people because it was it was just a it was this triumphal kind of I didn't even really understand it. It was something else. Yeah, I mean, in, in answer to your question, James, what, what shocks me the most, um, I mean, the highlight has to be when Farage appeared. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> and not only did he appear, then 24 hours later, he's in Belgrade. Yeah, <laughs> he's amazing. Um, but, I mean, know, as I think almost everyone has, has realised or said, I mean, who'd have thought that Nigel Farage would be campaigning to get an Eastern European over a border? You know, and 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 in trying to get in rather than trying to get them out, it's a or, huge. Or, or, or trying to tell any country how they operate their borders, because we know <laughs> Nigel's very much against that, especially from unelected bureaucrats. Um, so, but yeah, um, and and yeah, the, the press, the stuff from his family. I saw a tweet yesterday where somebody said, like, the the crazy thing is that every single member of Djokovic family seems to think that they're they're playing the leading role in yeah. this move. Um, but I, I think, you know, on a serious note, I think the issue that bothers me is is how he's managed to get in there with with rules that weren't don't seem to be allowed been allowed to other players because it really seems that he's and li- listen, I think all players should have been vaccinated anyway. I'm, I'm not a particular fan of the rule, but I don't understand why you wouldn't get vaccinated. But yeah. they were the rules. So he's basically because he's he's a very wealthy man it does seem to be an air of he's kind of blagged it and got there and see what see what he can do once he gets there or yeah see it's what kind of um forgiveness is far easier to, far easier to get than permission and, and you you yeah. say this and um, but there is a direct co- comparison here as well renata vorakova who i'll be honest i've never heard of you know she's a sort of middling doubles player from the czech republic i think she's 38 um, she flew home voluntarily is the word that's being used, but essentially she, she had come into Australia a, a few weeks before Djokovic on the same exemption, having had COVID within six months and then got a phone call from the federal government saying, can you come and see us, please? Because we don't think this exemption actually, you know, is valid. Uh, at which point she was detained in the park hotel and, and she kind of went, well, I'm just going to go home people pointed out she could have fought the same legal case as Djokovic, but she absolutely couldn't because she doesn't have 150 million pounds of lifetime prize money. She has nowhere near that. And she essentially said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to fight this because if I lose, I can't, it's going to bankrupt me. And George, I'm sorry, I did interrupt you. Uh, Well, just on that point, first of all, I mean, I'd say that this is quite often a complete kind of misnomer of what people kind of project onto athletes when they're fighting certain battles that they're doing for the rest of humanity you know we've we've spoken a little bit about this um with osaka and the mental health stuff you know which is a cause i think we're all far more behind but actually they're in they're all in such a position of privilege in the first place that it's not a relevant battle to kind of normal people and you know djokovic now is being hailed as taking on the system he's not i mean he's just proving the system is in itself Djokovic is the system for the record Djokovic is not out with the system fighting (laughs) he is the system inside the system Um, and what I was just going to say before that was you know I think one of the funniest things about this whole Djokovic saga has been the return to like 
mainstream press of George Djokovic because like this guy is someone who everyone just knows is completely nuts I mean he's just nuts I'll just put it out there he's comparing his son to Jesus Christ that's probably not even the most nuts thing he said over the last five six years but most people kind of reporting on the tennis media will be like ah we all know he's very outspoken sorry is this is this Sherdan his father or Sherdan sorry Sherdan sorry excuse me Sherdan because, yeah, of course, he, his brother George is straight down the line, very same boat. <laughs> but particularly, I would say, but, you know, everyone's kind of known, take everything this man says with a pinch of salt, because he with just loves shaker of it, yeah. And just, you know, speaks nonsense. And now, because this story's gone so much wider than your average tennis media, it's picked up by everyone, <laughs> this guy's views are suddenly rammed front and centre as part of the story, because... You know, the, the lack of context. I mean, don't get me wrong, the quotes have been amazing anyway, but it just gives you a bit of an example. Like, there's a bit of a responsibility, I think, from media. Should we really be platforming this guy at all? He's absolutely bonkers. I, th- I think, as well, like, this, again, the question that still remains for me, which, which is the most pertinent one, is, as well, is being that he applied for his visa, I think, in maybe the 20th of November yeah. um, or something like that. And he was still, he entered the tournament. And he was still on it past the withdrawal deadline. What we still don't know what was his plan if he didn't get COVID. Yeah, and I think that that, that really needs asking of him. So you you have to assume the plan wasn't to get COVID. Let, let let's be straight about it. So <laughs> I was going to say no, but I, maybe I mean, <laughs> but I I just I, I, that really blows my mind that no one is asking that because he wasn't getting, there was no way he was getting in. He got to the stage where there was no way he was getting in unless he got COVID providing that was an exemption, which we still don't know. He, he seemed to have by that stage been, I think he'd already missed the date when you could actually get the vaccine mm-hmm. unless he got the Johnson and Johnson one, but not many people seem to be doing that. So I don't get what, what was his plan and what is his plan now going forward? Cause it seems right. that like, if he's, is he going to have, are we going to have a year of this? I see there were four reasonable plans Djokovic could possibly have had at that stage. One was get the J&J vaccine. Two was get COVID. Three was pretend you had COVID and falsify medical records. Or four, don't play the tournament. Hmm. Those, as far as I can see, are the four options. And it seems like he's gone for two or three. You, you can choose which one you want to go for. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm trying to work out which was like the most likely of his to have been his plans at the time. I don't know. I, I, I'd maybe not play. I, the thing is, I still, we, we've kind of spoken about this offline a bit, that Djokovic, when push comes to shove, has had medical interventions in the past and felt really guilty about it. But when it comes yeah. to getting to the tournament doing it, I actually wouldn't have ruled out him going for the, the one shot, really, quite late to the deadline. Um, yeah. But who knows? So it's all. You imagine if he's had it on like Monday, like just just you know lastminute.com comes out of his hearing, sticks it in his arm, yeah. and then he's just planning on. That's why he's undercover. He doesn't want anyone to see, you know, anything that might give it away. I, this is fairly bizarre. I don't know what you both make of this. The fact that he's been practicing um, in Melbourne on the Rod Laver Arena in near secrecy. They locked all the doors. Um, they didn't allow anyone in the building. They shut off all the TV cameras that were filming, you know, the court, which are basically just CCTV cameras of practice courts. Um, And the only way we knew he was there was because Channel 9 had a drone going over Melbourne Park that spotted him on court with um, Ben McCabe, I think it was, the young Australian guy. Uh, I mean, what? what? What's going on there? Um, Yeah, I mean, that all had a bit of a OJ Simpson vibe to it, didn't it? That way. Watching it all from above. I mean, are we completely writing him out him having the vaccine mid-match? Medical time out for that. <laughs> just to throw like maybe in the final with Medvedev about to serve for it. <laughs> like, just call, <laughs> call the medical time out he wants the vaccine. That would really throw Medvedev, wouldn't it? Wouldn't oh, surprise me the way things have gone. Calvin, what what do you think the impact if he does get to play, which I know is all speculation at this stage, but what's the impact of being stuck in a hotel for five days? I know, I think we'll all agree that mentally Novak will thrive on the adversity, but is it an issue for his tennis? Is it an issue for his body? Does it depend on the size of the hotel room? What, what's this story? 
Yeah, the, the only the only way I would think it would be an issue is if uh, is in the first maybe the first match or the first two matches. But as we've been discussing this afternoon, the likelihood is he's going to have a match where he's heavy favourite, and I think he'll be able to get through that. I think once you threw into the third round, I don't think it's going to really affect him much at all. As much as Boris Becker said that things like not being able to drink normal water would affect him. Um, I or think or no, I think it was having to drink normal water. The yeah, normal yeah, sorry, water yeah. stuff he can't drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it'll be a major issue for him. Um, I assume he's been... Having said that, if we're to believe him, he's had a week off where he couldn't train just before Christmas and he's just had another, almost another week off now, hasn't he? So, you know, you never know, but if you believe that he didn't train in that week... You know, fair enough, but I don't. I think, I think just building on your point about it being an issue in the first two rounds, I mean, it's so hard to name players who aren't seeded who I think could even have an outside chance of beating Djokovic. I think it's Murray? Kyrgios and Murray, realistically. Yeah. Like, maybe uh, like, well, run like an Isner. I don't know, just in terms of lobbing down well, massive so services. If he's not I, reflex, not right, I don't, I don't know. I spoke to Mats Philander the, the other day and I asked him basically this exact question, which was like, what's the nightmare opponent if Djokovic has had, you know, very little practice? Um, and he did name almost every type of tennis player going. Um, but his his first answer, which I chose to accept, um, was the kind of the John Isner one, you know, someone who doesn't give you many rallies. Um, I mean, Maxime Cressy, that would be an interesting one. I, I Yeah, I, Cressy kind of comes to my mind. I, I still just can't see Djokovic having enough problems on return, even when I'm thinking like yeah. it is. No. I think it's more curious because his serve is so hard to read right. rather than the power itself. Um, and just the fact he'd be so up for it, the crowd would be mental. Yeah, they'd be at his, that would at be his perfect, team. Wouldn't it? That is the twist we need. Although he's got COVID, so who knows if he'll even make it. But that, that would be the match we want. I don't know. I would think those matches would probably worry him less, though. I think the ones I think physically might be the one thing he might struggle if he's not been able to train. If he's had COVID, hasn't been able to train for two weeks out of the last four, um, I would think he probably doesn't want to play somebody who's going to make him play a load of balls. Um, but I, don't I think who you know, d- yeah. guys outside the top thirty, yeah. John yeah. Millman is that who we're looking at there? Top yeah, John seven. Millman's not a bad shout. That's probably. Probably what about the Chilean lad? Is he still um is he still banned or what? Um or is he seeded? Are we um, what, what Christian Garin? Garin, yeah. Uh he's unfortunately in the top twenty because he's such a clay court king. Right, yeah. I saw yeah. an interesting calculation the other day that it was like if Christian Garin can be five hundred, as in win one, lose one, on all other surfaces that aren't clay, he's basically gonna be in the top twenty for the rest of his career. Because his clay court record is so good, and he just sweeps up points. Um, so yeah, he's not. Unfortunately, yeah. in the current system, and anyone who's uh, been on my Twitter or read uh, I News at Code UK today will know that I have mooted a new draw system where he could draw Christian Garin in the first round, but unfortunately, under the present system, he cannot draw uh, Christian Garin in the first round. Um, let's move on because I fear anything else we say by about Nova Djokovic may be overtaken. Um, by uh, ongoing events. Uh, to Amo Raducanu, who uh, we know what happened to her today. She started her season, a delayed start. She was signed in for Melbourne, but she withdrew from that tournament last week, citing not having had enough match practice um, or time on court, I should say. Uh, she started up against Elena Rivakina, or Rivakina, I should say. She was supposed to play uh, Iga Shontek, but she withdrew, having played a lot of tennis last week. Um, Rebecca also, by the way, um, made it to the final in Adelaide, so it was in good form and looked every bit of it. Uh, she won nine straight games. Uh, she beat Raducanu six love six one in just fifty six minutes. Uh, Raducanu only won thirteen percent of her points on second serve. She hit double faults at crucial moments, including three in her opening service game. There were very few stats that really looked good for Emma Raducanu, other than her first serve percentage went up in a bit in the second in the second set, but. Frankly, it's because she took 15 miles an hour off it and Rebecca and I just started working it back a lot harder. Um, Georgia, I, I don't know how much you will have seen the match, but you probably didn't need to see very much to tell you that this was a bad day. I, I've actually watched all of it in the end. Uh, hmm. After Calvin couldn't make it at 6.15, I've uh, watched <laughs> it in the last hour because I realised I had enough time. Um, and yeah, it, it was pretty bad. I mean, 
the first thing I would say is that I thought River Kina was really, really good. Um, served yeah. really well. She is in good form. You know, we talk about in football, kind of men against boys. This really was kind of woman against girl, you know, in terms of the power, uh, the dominance on the court. Everything Emma chucked back was pretty much dismissed um, with with purchase. So, yeah, it was it was a pretty tough day for her. I mean, you mentioned the double faults there. First game stands out for me. That was 40-15, Raducanu on serve. She throws in two double faults and then another one to break. You know, that... That's the sort of thing in a match like this that when you're just trying to settle, you just want to get that first hold on the board to lose in 40-15. It, it can suddenly roller coaster. And when your opponent's serving as well as Ribakina was, it, it doesn't make life very easy. Um, I think the big issue for Radicardo, and we've said this time and time again, and this was really, really uh, on show in this match, when plan A doesn't work, there's not a lot there. There, there really isn't. Like, There's not enough variety or changing up of things she makes wild decisions in the wrong moments um you know at times where you just when your opponent's playing that well you want to hold it out keep them going for as long as possible and think they can't carry on playing at this level for another 15 20 minutes there, there was none of that there was a massive wax off second serve returns that were flying long you know that that's a lack of maturity really and you know it's always hard to compare to people like Djokovic and Nadal but what those guys and Murray, what they've guys have done so well over the years is just hang in there when their opponent's really, really hot and knowing they can come back in. I, I didn't sense that at all from Emma today. There's not enough variety for me in terms of bringing Ribakina in. She never tried to change it up. She kept trying to hit it deep. And the reality was Ribakina's too strong and powerful for her. So I, I think there's a bit of a worry about how one-dimensional she is mm. um, at the moment for me. And the serve, while it's a really good when it goes in, there's big problems on the second serve at the minute, as I'm sure Calvin can speak to far better than I can. But I think there's a lot to work on with the added caveat that, you know, she's had a bit of a tough time with COVID, et cetera, and wasn't quite ready. But I, I'm not overly confident for her going into Australia. Mm. I mean, the briefing has always been from from her camp and everyone we've spoken to about Emma is that she she wasn't particularly ill and, and that she hasn't had much of a tough time. But she did, as she said, afterwards have 21 days off tennis overall. And that is a long time. And, you know, I sort of forgot that last year the Australian Open was a couple of weeks later and that everyone had a bit more time. OK, people were in quarantine and stuff, but overall people had more time to get into shape and to deal with things. Um, if, if you got ill over Christmas, as Emma did, you really haven't had a lot of time on court. And she said actually afterwards that she, she even thought about pulling out of this week as well. And that she she would have been in, within her rights to do that, or, or she felt that that wouldn't have been an awful thing to do because she felt so frankly unready. Um, so yeah, that, that, that clearly she's not physically there yet. Um, Calvin, there was lots of talk. I know that the Radicanu serve was a problem, I believe, about a year ago. Is that right? It was something that people knew she'd had a tough time with before. Does this feel a bit like a a reawakening of those demons? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, in the first game today, it was all over the shop, really. She missed one second serve by a mile, um, which tends to happen only when you're not really confident on it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a, a weakness per se, but there's not a great deal on it either. It's not it, it's not Sabalenka stages of what we're going to talk about later on by any stretch, but there's just not a great deal on it and players can attack her on it. And I think that's the... Um, that is going to be a problem for her. And I think George is kind of right on the... It's weird to say she's one-dimensional because she has a lot to her game. Um, Doesn't seem to be sort of putting it together how to use it quite yet, though. Um, But it's not like her game is one-dimensional as such. She hasn't quite managed to yeah, figure out how to put it all together, really, which is odd to say for somebody who's won a Grand Slam. Is, Is that just tennis IQ? Is that just like not having spent time playing elite players year upon year and having to work those problems out? Um, to a degree, I think, yeah. And I guess the players she's playing now, they hit the ball a lot harder than anyone she's ever played, which, as again, I don't want to sound like a broken record on it, but when she won the US Open, she managed to avoid that type of player in the main who could, who was just hit a huge, heavy ball. Um, the two players who she did play who kind of hit quite big in Bencic and the American girl, I forget who... She'd never really had to face it. And then everyone else, as, I, as we said at the time, she managed to get the first hit in against. And I think she's kind of 
maybe got a bit of a realism of the tour has come in. Yeah, I, I, I suppose this is going to be a massive learning year. Like, I- inevitably, for someone who 12 months ago wasn't in this position by any stretch of the imagination, she's going to have to try and, you know, find a way to do lots of things she's not done before. Even as simple as, you know, being away from home for a long period of time. Now, she doesn't seem particularly phased by that, or at least her parents don't seem to be particularly phased by it. Um, but it will be something a bit different. You know, she hasn't been home already since, uh, I guess, Albert Hall. So what, that's the best part of a month already. She's going to be in Australia for another three or four weeks. You know, there are just lots of different things going on. Calvin, I know you're keen for people not to call her a novice. Um, everyone kind of has been saying this over the last couple of hours. Oh, you know, she's new. You've got to give her a year. What do you mean when you say you don't want people to call her a novice? Look, once you've won a Grand Slam and once you're 23 in the world, you can't be coming in and saying you're a novice. That earns you a pressure is a privilege and that earns you the right that you you have an expectancy on you. And this idea that we shouldn't heap pressure on her because and uh, because she's she's so young and she's developing. Right. She's won a Grand Slam. She's 23 in the world. And no, there's never been an 18 year old, 19 year old sports star who's been that good who hasn't had pressure on them and a hell of a lot of them end up coming through and being superstars or, or having excellent careers out of it at the least. It's one of the things that comes with it. And let's be honest, tennis, tennis is one of the ones that you get the least amount of pressure. Cause as much as we'd all like tennis to be more popular, it's not as popular as football. She doesn't have the pressure on her that Marcus Rashford had when he was 18 or Cristiano Ronaldo or Wayne Rooney, who was being touted as the best English player we've ever seen. So she doesn't have the same pressure as some of the basketball players, the number one draft picks have and that kind of thing. So I just don't buy it. Look, you can be understanding that do do I expect her to do I expect to win a Grand Slam this year? No. Do I expect to make semifinals of a Grand Slam? Maybe not. Do I expect to be competitive at tall level when she's ranked 23 in the world and she's won a Grand Slam? Yeah, I do expect her to be competitive at tall level. And to be honest, since the US Open, she hasn't been. Mm. And I think there's nothing wrong with asking questions about that. I'll tell you something. I, I know her. I wouldn't say I know her well. I know her and I've been around her, her setup and her family. They'll be asking questions of it themselves. And I think she should be asking questions of herself on it. Mm. I think also, I suppose what I would say is that the results like this are probably going to happen. Like, I think it's not unfair to expect her to go deep at tournaments. It's a challenge. I think it's also reasonable to believe that this kind of stuff might happen from time to time. Like, A, this happens in the women's game. You know, we saw it last night with Irina Savalenka where she just completely went to pieces. She lost six out of eight games in the middle of the match. And, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't, she was hitting underarm serves because she couldn't hit a second serve. This does happen to players even at the highest level. What I think I would say is that there will be days when Emeril Khanu has days like this. Yeah, and also I'll add that she wasn't expected to beat Ravikina. Ravikina was the seed, um, yeah. and she's ranked higher than her, and she's obviously a very good player. Mm. So she wasn't expected to beat her, but I did expect to be, you know, she won a Grand Slam. You expected yeah. to be competitive. You know, you expect to not to be, as much as some people laughed at it and that kind of thing, you expect to not to be, like, laughing when she's won a game or celebrating when she's won a game. And I realise it was tongue-in-cheek and that kind of thing. But, you know, there, there is a certain standard that players hold themselves to. And I don't think it makes any sense for journalists, fans of her, fans of hers, to be lowering the expectations and lowering the standards that she should be asking. And, and I think the main issue as I have, and I think we'll come on to it, is the stuff that goes on after it, um, after the match, and the quotes in the, uh, the press conference and the videos that... Welcome to that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like, in terms of the manner of losing, I was going to bring up that point. I mean, that was kind of like widely lauded on social media, which is always a kind of quite strange. I said, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily right for us to sit around and say what's a right way or a wrong way to lose it. You know, it, is it as bad a reaction to smash three rackets when you're playing that badly as it is to smile and laugh? You know, people take that in different ways, but... I can't imagine. Uh, I need to stop comparing these young players to people like Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. I just cannot imagine that reaction ever from any of those guys to that, to that sort of thing. Just, just wouldn't happen. Like mm. it, it just, or, or know, even it, like, or even standard, but even Serena Williams, Martina Hingis, Venus Williams, um, Andrescu. You know, players like that. I don't think you know. 
maybe Andrescu, but then we've seen where she's gone recently. So, mm-hmm. um, to come on to what you mentioned, Calvin, the the videos that we've seen afterwards. Uh, so uh, Radicani said afterwards that. Uh, she, after she lost the match, and actually probably the reason it took her quite a while to come into press afterwards was because she went and got a box of balls, she met up with Torben Veltz, and they went straight onto the practice court, which is, I suppose, in some ways quite admirable. Um, it's also understandable because she'd been on court for less than an hour. You know, she will have been prepped in terms of food and water and the rest of it to do significantly more than that. So um, a bit like when you see footballers, after, if you've ever hung around a football match afterwards, you'll see the subs going and running on the pitch after a game because they've got all the food in them to get through that. Um, I suspect she will have had something similar. The drill that she was doing, Calvin, um, it's it's what some people might recognise as something they've done with their club coach. Uh, how useful yeah. is it for a professional player to drop balls in front of them and make them hit forehands from behind the baseline? It's absolutely no use. It's an absolute nonsense. Like That's a ball that you will never, ever, ever hit. It's why, why, do, why do coaches do it? Because it's easy for them and it makes them look like they're in the shot and it makes them look like they're working on something. But you're not working on anything. They think if if they're close to it with their hand just over it and they're talking, it makes it look like you're doing some some crafting of something and, and you're not. It's an absolute nonsense of a drill. It doesn't make any sense. You'll never it's not representative. That's the thing. It's not when you play a tennis shot, you're moving to the ball. You're, you're perceiving the ball that's coming to you. You're anticipating what's going to happen. You're making a decision and then you're going to act. You're going to actually hit the ball. This one where the balls are dropping vertically from about four foot up and you're going to hit the ball slowly over the net from a close stance without moving to it. It's an absolute nonsense. And then you're going to do the same again and the same again. I just it, the drilling itself is a nonsense, right? And also the going out there and, and videoing it, and then she made a point straight away. I was on the court. It just felt a little bit, a little bit plastic to me. A little bit like the the management has said, right, this is what we're going to do. The agent was there in the shot in the background as well. She was out there straight away. Quick video. Video was on Twitter all within an hour, and it just looks a bit like it, it's not just not straight to her to be honest a lot of sports stars are doing it i don't like this idea of look it's it's like the that was like the tennis equivalent of of footballers going we go again next week tough result today we go again next week here we go mm. and it's like don't i don't want to know that i don't want to see you hitting some balls fed out the hand i don't want to hear about that i've been on the practice court just go out and be better next time i don't want to see that kind of stuff it's a nonsense it's instagram Calvin, I want to ask you, kind of coming on from that Radicanu stuff and practicing after a match, is there anything, is there ever, I mean, you know, even if you're not doing drills that don't work, is there ever anything to be achieved 10 minutes after an absolute drubbing like that? Um, no, I, I don't think so. It's kind of the thing that you do with junior players. And I know that there was always... It's something that you see a lot with juniors and there's a there's a, a train of thought that you, you play a match and you go straight on the practice court with the, the sort of thinking being that no match is so important that you don't just get back to practice, win or lose. Right. You practice, you, you play your match. So it kind of takes the, it, it's again this idea of focusing on the process. The match is just a part of the development and then we're back on the practice court working on something. But unless the player has gone, that was absolutely, you know, maybe, look, maybe sometimes the player goes, look, that was, that was crap. I need to get on the court and do something about that straight away. Fair enough. But you're working on something specific, right? What we saw from, from them on the court today, unless she's come off the court and gone, I just lost love and one because, you know, my, my slow dropping forehand was a bit rough. Um, and that's what's cost me the match. I don't get what they were on court doing there other than it being for optics only. And, is there, and I, is, I mean, is there anything of just, this is what I said to you on WhatsApp, is is there anything in just whacking a ball for 20 minutes and just feeling a bit, you know, I sometimes feel like that if I've had a bad day at work and I go for a run or I'll do something else just to kind of, to do something that I can do right or feel good. Is there anything in that? Right. If you want to do that, it's not something that I do, but again, she wasn't really whacking the ball. She was like kind of smoothing it slowly from a closed stance. Well, the balls that she was hitting, they, they, it genuinely looked like it was put on there just so somebody could video it. That's what <laughs> it looked like to me. And that is the drill. You see, I see it all the time. That is always the thing that coaches do when they want to look at it. Look, we're training. 
that or um, sort of repetitive drilling. It's always one of those. But again, if you want to do that, though, James, you want to go out there, crack a few balls. Fair enough. But why are you going on social media? Why are you going to the in the press conference and going, I was back on court there working on something? Mm. If you're just going out and cracking some balls around, fair enough. But you're not working on anything. That's just releasing some frustration. I wonder, I, I had this thought earlier and it, it kind of keeps coming back to me. And I wonder whether, you know, her parents aren't out there. And we know that there's a big parental influence in her career. And I wonder whether Torben Belts, new coach on the scene, first match of his new player, and she gets beaten love and one. And he's gone, I probably need to do something here to make it at least look like I've really got a problem, George. That, but that's kind of what I'm saying, though. It's all optics all around. It just felt a bit like, right, If you could just imagine the management think halfway through the second set, this is not going how we want. How can we spin this? Right, let's go say we were back on court straight away. Let's get somebody to film it so we can show her hitting some balls. And it, it's, it's like just what you don't want. It's elite level sport here. Just do better next time. Do better next time. You know, she just spent, she, she didn't play last week. She said she wanted an extra week of practice. I think she'd have been better, better off playing last week, to be honest. The, the one thing I would say that was quite interesting to me was the kind of body language between Emma and uh, Torben Belts. I mean, she didn't look, I know she's obviously been mullered pretty badly, but she didn't look very happy in any of those videos. There was a real kind of, you could see he was trying to communicate something. She didn't look very happy about what it was. I mean, you know, it's probably too much to read something into it, but you kind of touched on it there, Calvin, that, given a recent coaching history, this one is really not off to a flyer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You think if something goes wrong early doors in Australia, is it, is it too early to call that first coaching change? I think I said she'd only have one coaching change this year, but that would, that would lean into Calvin's prediction of three. I think he went for. So hopefully she gets a few wins under her belt and can keep poor Torben in the job for a little longer. This is the problem Uh, as well is that questions like this are only going to keep, keep coming up, you know, but she hasn't got, she hasn't got another match. The next match is going to be probably on Rod Laver, probably against a reasonably tricky opponent because they're all tricky, probably, I would suggest, when you've only played one match this year and you've only won one game. It's not going to get much easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not going to go at the coach here because this is not on the coach. You know, this is like, you can't just every time she loses go, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the coach. It's, it's not that. She was losing matches before he came along. She won matches and sacked the coach. She won the US Open and sacked the coach straight after that. So... I don't, results don't seem to have any real effect on what she does with the coaches or what her family and management do with the coaches. But um, I, 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 look, he's an experienced coach. I don't, I, he'll know, I think, that going on the court and dropping some balls straight after isn't really going to make any difference. Well, it's not going to make any difference at all to how she plays next week. She might come out a whole lot better next week and play really well, and I hope she does. But that's, that won't be because of what, what she did after the match. Correlation is not the same as causation. Mm. So um, I, I just think it's just, it's a real junior tennis thing. It's a real under-14s tennis thing. And that's not what we're doing. It's, you know, it's elite level sport at the highest possible level that we're talking about here. Mm. Let's move on. Speaking of elite level sport, Andy Murray picked up a victory today. And speaking of elite level sport, it was easy to watch on television. Oh, no, wait. I had the experience, I mean, I'm lucky, you know, I do tennis for a job. And so I had access to the media stream, which moved every sort of two and a half seconds. Frustratingly, the, the audio was perfect, but the uh, the vision was almost entirely imperfect. But it didn't bother Andy. Um, he usually likes me to watch his matches if I can, but he didn't seem too bothered on this occasion. He beat Victor Durasovic, who, funnily enough, he also beat in Stockholm a couple of months ago. Uh, he beat him 6-3, 6-1. It was a pretty comfortable match. I don't think Durasovic did himself any favours. Um, was missing various shots by three, four metres at times. Um, Andy Murray won 96% of his points on first serve, which I think tells you exactly what uh, Norwegian Victor was trying to do with the return. Um, George, it's not often we get to talk about a routine Andy Murray victory, so I suppose we should celebrate that. Yeah, and I think last week was a little bit disappointing. Um we all kind of came in to this year thinking there would he was in good form at the end of last year. He's had a good run of fitness, um, probably a good chance to start the year strong. He's traditionally very, very strong at the Australian Open <clears throat> uh, throughout his career. Um, 
That's the thing. He's in a pretty good position. You know, it's Basilashvili next. Again, not going to predict too much what happens in that, given uh, the turnaround of this podcast and when you might be listening. But you'd kind of fancy him to have a chance there. Uh, beat him at Wimbledon. Sort of player Murray can kind of get under his skin and beat. Also the sort of player who could just blow him up out the water if he has a perfect match as well. So quite an easy one for Murray to go into mentally. Um, but I, I still feel I feel pretty good for Murray going into this Australian Open. I think everything could kind of be coming together until he draws Djokovic first round. But you know, it's, <laughs> if he gets an okay draw to start with, you know, picks up a lower seed, takes over their run, or, or even like a Rublev, maybe he might fancy his chances again, taking over their section of the draw. Um, I, I think he'll feel pretty good about his chances. There won't be too many players who will want to be seeing Murray out the hat round one. Uh, Calvin, we've talked a lot about what Murray can and can't achieve. One thing, surely, that if he wants to achieve i.e. a second week of a Grand Slam, he will need to start winning matches in routine fashion. So I suppose in that sense, good to see him get through a match he should win with only four games against him. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, He does need to start doing that, we've said. Even the last season when he was getting some wins, they were nearly always sort of 6-4 in the third. 7-6 7-6 in the third, and that didn't help him in the next match after that when you've got a metal hip and you are 36 years old, 35 years old maybe. Um, it doesn't, you know, you don't want that kind of thing. But um, yeah, as George points out, it, I think the thing with, with Murray now going forward in, into the Aussie Open is it's it's player type and matchups that he needs to avoid. It's not really standard. Like I don't think he'd even be that worried if he played against Zverev or Tsitsipas again in the first round. But equally, I don't think he wants... He won't want either of the two Canadian lads because they can just blow him away. They have done. Um, obviously, you don't want Djokovic. I imagine he doesn't want Medvedev. Um, but anyone else, you know, probably will fancy his chances again. It, the Bashar-Svili one is going to be an interesting one because it beat him at Wimbledon, obviously, but you could put a lot, a lot of that down to it being on a grass court, although grass courts are pretty much like hard courts now. Um but Murray always tends to think he can beat players who he's beaten before. He likes the idea that he's got a blueprint in his head of the tactics. He knows their patterns of play. He knows what they do on the big points. And although the scoreline ended up looking pretty close in that match, it was the match where he should easily basically have won it something like 6-4, 6-2, 6-1 and blew the big lead in the third set, didn't he? Mm. Um, he really took Bichelot's really to the cleaners that day for about three quarters of the match. So, yeah, we're going to be interested to see how how that match turns out. Because if he wins that, you think he's in a pretty good shape in that tournament as well. But then it comes into how deep does he want to go in this tournament Hmm. before the Australian Open? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, This is something that players, you know, we've seen a couple of withdrawals from what was a stacked Sydney field this week because players don't want to play the week before a slam, having played the week before that for a whole week as well. Um, The finals are obviously on Saturday, so that guarantees you a day off, but you don't want to, really take too much out of your legs. George, have any other results stood out for you in Sydney? Players, um, I know obviously Gail Monfils has shown some good form uh, in Australia and that's quite exciting for anyone who knows his story. Yeah, it's nice kind of having the old timers on the one hand uh, picking up titles in Nadal and Monfils and then on the other hand you've kind of got two young guys who we've wanted to kind of be the next generation for a while in terms of their playing styles and what they bring to the sport in terms of personalities and Shapovalov and Ogier Aliassime leading Canada to an ATP Cup title. Um, I think it's been a good opening week of results in terms of, you know, that, that, that still kind of permanent clash we're in at the minute where we've got the hopes of the young generation to really grip the sport by the throat and the old guys still kicking around and, you know, I, I think I saw on social media someone saying about Monfils, you know, tennis is still pretty lucky to have him running around because he's such an entertaining, interesting character. Um, so and he's nice big to... on TikTok, which obviously is great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and you know, he does a lot of uh, Twitch streams and stuff, doesn't he? You know, he, he is actually one of the more, let's say, forward-thinking players in terms of bringing in different audiences. He has kind of experimented with a few different things. So, yeah, I think he's it's definitely nice to see him winning, particularly given, was it this time last year, the man could barely get a ball in the Couldn't court. Buy. I mean, we, we were joking about the fact that he was still in the top 20 because basically his ranking was frozen because of COVID. But the reality was he was playing like, you know, 60 in the world level. 
So, yeah, I mean, you know, credit to Gunther, I suppose, as usual, uh, for getting him back to some kind of level. Um, there's another man who uh, has been picking up wins down under that maybe we weren't expecting to talk very much about, and that man is Maxime Cressy, who, for anyone who's ever seen him play, he's an absolute throwback of a player. He throws it up in the air, he whacks it, and he runs at the net. It is something else to watch. It's not something you see a lot in modern tennis, and it is going to be... Uh, the the subject of our minute minute tennis today, where Calvin tries to explain something relatively complicated in a relatively simple way in just one minute. George Belshaw, as always, is our man on the clock. Um, he's got a very expensive looking silver stopwatch that he uses for it. Um, and then he sophisticatedly waves when it's finished. So um, Calvin, in one minute, serve and volley back in the old days tennis was usually played on grass courts and it was usually played with wooden rackets that you couldn't hit the ball very hard with so the best way of winning points was serving and then getting to the net and finishing the ball at the net this kind of continued right through really until the mid 80s late 80s into the 90s when the rackets became more powerful and the return became more powerful you could actually win points from the back and you could pass easier with more power from the back to the player who's coming to the net. So we then saw serve and volley kind of go out of the game, apart from the big servers who would just follow it in just on the strength of their serve. They weren't necessarily great volleyers like the olden serve volleyers were, like John McEnroe, players like that. Um, what what you kind of get now is that nobody really served volleys more than once every couple of service games, like Federer, but... Um, yeah, we're, we're, there's now talk that it may come back with such as Cressy. Can it come back? I mean, is it realistic that, okay, Cressy, we talk about him and he's a bit of a throwback and, you know, he got to the final and played Nadal and in reality, he's still well outside the top 50 in the world, I think. Is it realistic that someone could play top 20 level with that game style? Um, I don't think we'll ever see anybody serve and volley in first and second serve every single service point like you used to get from John McEnroe, Pete Sampras, Stefan Edberg, that kind of thing. But I do believe that all sport is cyclical and situations come out of situations. So, for example, when people used to serve volley all the time, players got better at hitting passing shots because they were hitting more passing shots. They got better at returning down to feet, which is what you want against a serve volleyer. However, now that there are no serve volleyers, they've not been practicing that so much. So, so you get the cycle comes round again. I think we're getting a situation where there will be more people serve volleying. But the only way I could ever see it coming round again, more than I'll come to it in a minute. But when the last really the big one was Boris Becker, and Boris Becker was such a physical beast that he could do it. And I think if we get something like that, if we ever get something like that in tennis kind of like a someone with the same build as, I guess, LeBron James, who's six foot seven or whatever, and athletic, and has got a huge serve, it would make sense for them to be serve volleying because they can get to the net, they can cover the net when they're there. But tennis, we don't tend to get that type of athlete, but there's always a freak situation. So it, it is possible. I think what we're more likely to get is if you get somebody who is a... Re- there's also because of the strength of the rackets, because people hit so big, there's not many great volleyers around. There's a, there's a few in the top 100. Murray's a great volleyer. I think Humbert's an excellent volleyer. Dimitrov is a fantastic volleyer. Um, but I think the best you can hope for really is, is it using it as kind of, I think we will see more of a mix-up in it where you'll get players who are using it maybe once a game, that kind of thing. But I think that's probably most likely the most we're going to get. It's interesting you mentioned the point about players not practicing it because that made me think immediately of kind of Misha Zverev's run in the Australian Open where mm. he actually beat Murray in the fourth round and the guy who took him out was a, a well-known Roger Federer who probably had been kind of on the cusp of the latter years of kind of some players who were attempting it a lot more than others. Well uh, if you watch just, just because I because I recently have if you watch Federer Sampras at Wimbledon 03 03 or 02 yeah, I mean, it's 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 bizarre because it is just the two of them serve volleying at each other. You know, Federer does serve volley pretty high frequency. So, you know, he probably is the last player from that era who who did do it, I suppose. I, I mean, so. as well, even like such as even as such as Wimbledon used to get situations where it used to be so popular that even the players who weren't serve volleyers on grass would serve volley. 
Like Jim Courier was an all-out baseliner, but if you watch the uh, the Sanfras Courier Wimbledon final, Courier served volley in about sixty percent of the time, and that and Bjorn Borg was the ultimate baseliner. If you watch them, some of the matches with McEnroe, he served volley in about 60 percent of the time on his own serve. So it it does, but that's changed now. The grass courts are not as quick. The grass courts are slower. We've also got, as we've discussed previously, most hard courts are slow as well now. So it's unlikely to get it on that. But I remember that. It's funny you mentioned that one about Misha Zverev. I remember that year. He did get that far with Sir Volley in. It was quite ludicrous, though, at the same time. He was rolling the dice on nearly every point. I remember the, the match when he beat Murray. Some of the volleys he was hitting were ludicrous. And he won't <laughs> make... They were one in 30 he'd make of those. Murray was actually passing great. And Zverev was coming in on... He was, I think he was chip and charging. What was the one that Courier used last year? The crush and rush. He basically <laughs> hitting everything, coming in on a bluff. And, you know, and it was... It, I don't think if he played that same tournament 200 times, I don't think he'd win as many matches in 198 of them. All jokes aside about whether the spook or not, I mean, I agree with Calvin that I, I struggle to see someone like Cressy rushing through winning a Grand Slam. As much as I love it, I'm absolutely here for it. But what we are seeing a little bit now, and it's particularly with Medvedev, and I think in the Medvedev era, Djokovic to beat Medvedev actually went full serve and volley for a bit. That actually was a serious tactic against mm. it. In this era of these long baseliners who aren't used to that sort of thing, could really disrupt it. You know, I agree with Calvin. It shouldn't be every single point that is just unfeasible. But none of them can volley, right? That. Like well, that's the thing. Is in the top ten, who can volley? That shift. Like yeah, it's, it's, uh, I do think like the thing is as well is is it even in Cressy's case is it really serve volley or has he just got a huge serve? <laughs> It makes sense. He's going to have more. It's not like when you go back to the last great era of serve volleyers. Sanfras was a good volleyer. He wasn't a great volleyer. Edberg was a great volleyer. Stick was a great volleyer. Becker was a, a very, very good volleyer. McEnroe was probably the best volleyer ever. Federer is a, is a good volleyer. His volleys are a bit overrated in my book. Um, Federer's, he's not, I don't think he's as good a volleyer as, as Murray is. Um, Dan Evans is actually a good volleyer, very good volleyer. Um, but yeah, there's. It's more more recent. We've got the guys who serve. They they basically gonna think that what they're coming in for is they think I'm gonna hit a huge first serve and I'll get a block return back that'll give me a, a put away volley. Whereas back in the in the real serve volley era, they they didn't mind having to hit a volley from their shin height or that kind of thing. Whereas the guys now, even Medvedev, Djokovic, Djokovic is serve volleying against Medvedev because Medvedev basically returns to length. And if mm. you return to length, you need to return with height. And that's going to give you a, a shoulder-high volley. Yeah, j- just on that point, I mean, Nadal's not a great volleyer technically, but what Nadal's arguably the best at in this generation is knowing when to come in. He comes yeah. in when it's the right moment. And, th- and that is arguably the greater skill, um, is feeling the moment, knowing to come in, closing the net and putting it away. Um, so, yeah just echoing that. Point. Yeah, there's a difference between a, a, a good put-away volleyer and a good volleyer. Mm. And Nadal is, is his decision-making. I mean, Agassi was the same. I never saw Agassi miss a volley. Because he basically come into the net four times a match and every single one of them, he'd get shoulder-high volley and he'd chop it away. It's what I find quite funny. Um, so in the ATP Cup, when Germany dropped, I can't remember whether they dropped Puets or Kravietz for the doubles and they put Alexander Zverev in. And it's like, well, it's all very well putting Zverev in for the doubles, but he is a dreadful volleyer. Like, he has zero touch. Uh, he's, he's absolutely, he's basically got an enormous wingspan. So, yeah, he'll put away volley fine, but he has zero. I was wondering, Calvin, if, if there's anyone in the top 100 who you could t- take and coach and say, right, we're just, we're going to, you know, we're going to work on this game style. If I set you a challenge, you've, you've got to halve their ranking in a year, but they've got to be a serve volleyer. Who would you pick? I, I, I don't think you could. The one who's most likely, it's not like you'd have to coach them to do it. I'd say the one, the player who's most likely to win most serve volley points is probably Hugo and Bear. Um, he's lefty. Lefty. Hmm. Well, he's, he's lefty. He's got a very good serve and he is a very good volleyer. And that is probably one who you could say, if we can add 15 to 20% more serve volley points throughout the year, I think he would rise up the, the rankings. Mm. Um, 
but but yeah, I mean, I don't think you could have. But even then, we'd be looking at him serve volley in once per game on average. I would say I think anything more than that is a bit unrealistic. Mm. Um, but yeah, and it would depend on him playing doing that mainly on the indoor um, indoor seed really, um, and on the faster outdoor courts. Fascinating. I could talk about serving volleying all day because I feel like I grew up with it and because I just think it's fun to watch. Um, but I, we I don't think, have... Just nip in there, James, the last one. I think what, the point you raised about Zverev, though, it's it's a fair point that I think this is probably in, in the top 10. There's some really bad volleyers. Like Rublev's a bad volleyer. Um, Rublev's a really bad volleyer. Um, Zverev's probably the worst volleyer in the top 100, I'd say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Medvedev isn't a great volleyer. Um, at all, but again, big wingspan. He's not a t- he's not a terrible volleyer. He puts the high ones away, so that's probably why you're not going to see it from the top. The top guys really, and the, the top guys aren't very good at volleying. Yeah, George, we're running out of time um, rapidly. Uh, the, there's still lots that is on the running order, but if there's one thing you want to pick pick out uh, from Sabalenka, Zverev, Naomi Osaka, which which do you want to talk about briefly? It's got to be Sabalenka because I can sum up the Osaka thing in one sentence, if you like. I mean, basically what I've written down, but she's pulled out with an injury. Do we know whether this is an ongoing trick she's done in previous slams where she pulls out the week before, retires with an ab injury and then comes out and smashes it? Or is it a concern after a long time out? The answer is we'll have to find out. So that that section's done. Uh, and then, yeah, I want to talk to Sabalenka because the wheels have fallen off, haven't they? Yeah, hugely. I mean, she she lost to Rebecca Pettersson overnight in three sets. She won the first set and then the serve just went nowhere. I mean, she was missing serves for fun. She wasn't even like hitting them. She was sort of, you know, she wasn't getting off the ground to hit them at one point. She was just sort of walking through it. She then started hitting underarm serves, quite bad ones. Um, I think she was in tears on court at one point. I mean, you know, I've, I've followed Irina Sabalenka with quite a lot of interest because I think she's a great player and I think she will win a Grand Slam. And she doesn't have a big support team. She's got an IMG agent who pretty much keeps everyone at arm's length, uh, by which I mean I've never been able to get into with her. Um, she's got um, Anton Dubrov, who she travels with, and that's about it. Like, there's not really, there's not a big team. You know, she's probably unique in the top 10 in both men's and women's tennis by not having that big team around her and you know i'm speculating a little bit but i would suggest that when things do go wrong it kind of means there's not really anyone to pick up the pieces um and you know it feels like not a very coached situation i guess what i mean it's quite a new uh, quite surprising to me that this has happened because i kind of really thought she you know her tour level's actually been pretty consistent for the last few years is the slams that's not kind of happened for her I kind of feel like she started really turning that corner. And I was thinking, I think James did pick her for one of the slams this year to win, but she was definitely under consideration for me for a couple of them uh, where I thought she could go deep. And she's kind of now, I mean, Calvin can talk much more technically about the serve issues at the minute, but the one that really stood out for me today is that the feet didn't come off the floor. I mean, it was like watching, you know, club level, social tennis never mind even club level actual tennis like yeah. just people fucking around i mean it, it was astonishing there was no pace on the ball no racket speed on the throw but the legs didn't come off the floor she just walked forward and it was almost like a i just couldn't believe what i was watching but i'll let calvin run away with the technical issues that he can see with it rather than more. <laughs> yeah yeah how long have you got <laughs> well, it's it's kind of the opposite, really. If if you were coaching her now, if I was out there coaching her now, you wouldn't be doing anything technical because I think that's probably half the problem. It looks like she might have been trying to do something technical on it, which a lot of inexperienced coaches do. I don't know much about her coach actually, but you know, it's it's coaching at the top of the women's game, and we know what I think about that. So it strikes me that there might have been some sort of attempt at a technical change, and it's been a disaster. And you're not going to change that in the week that she's got before the Australian Open. I'd if she plays anyone who's decent, I'd she's not winning a match at the Australian Open. Mm. Not with that kind of serve. You can't you can't play a match with I don't see her serve being able to improve enough in a week that gets her to a place where she can win a match. If you say that her serve improves ten percent from where it is now, that's a huge improvement in a week. And I still think ten percent from where it is now isn't going to get be enough to win a match. But 
yeah, she's got a long way back. That looked pretty bad today. I've not seen many players who, I mean, at the start of it, we were saying she's had, she had a touch of the Zverevs. I don't think even Zverevs ever got that bad. No. I think, well, for starters, Zverev always had the first serve. He always had the first serve that he could make about 70% of the time. And so about 30% you got the second. She she wasn't even making any any first serves. Mm. Yeah, just, Concerning just one, stuff. As I say, what one stat to put this into context, 74 double faults in the last four matching matches, averaging at 18.5 per match. That's pretty mental, really. It was as well. It was the nature of those double faults. Like you said, feet not coming off the ground. But what bothered me more is it looked like she had no feel on it at all. They were going half halfway up the net, 10 metres long, miles wide. Then she hit the second, then she hit the underarm serve. It was like a feed, like but a top I, 10 underarm two serve. Two underarm ones, and they were not good underarm ones. I mean, yeah, I, I then, love the underarm serve when used properly. These were disgraceful efforts, like really poor. Yeah, I'd be hugely surprised if she wins a match at the US Open, uh, Australian Open. Problematic stuff. Uh, we'll see how she recovers over the next couple of days. Um, she probably won't be a big pick for you if you're going to take part in our fantasy tennis, which will, of course, be live in the uh, next couple of days. I wait till until the draw uh, because that's when I know all the players are going to be in and it's less of a nightmare when people pull out. Um, that's all for this week. Uh, you've been listening to the Love Tennis Podcast. Please do leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod. Uh, and thanks very much for listening, as always. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.